Welcome back to Seriously Loco. Mika, we, we head to Seriously Italy. Seriously Loco? Oh, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> we got talking about locomotive it. for five seconds and I snap. I whatever. I immediately went into <laughs> Seriously Loco I, mode. That was funny. You were but, so like confident about I it. I was confident. <laughs> oh, man. What fucking podcast is this? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I'm actually going to do this now. Okay. <laughs> What's up, everyone? It's Hardcore Football. I'm your host, Phil Baki, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mika Burrell, and we both inadvertently uh, repping Football Stadium Prince merch. Like, is this a sponsored podcast now? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's podcast is obviously a horrible uh, medium to show the people what these shirts look like, but <laughs> um, football stadium prints do, does great work. Go check them out. They Steve does like every level of the sport, really, because both of our shirts are for our local club in the American Second Division. So yeah, um, yeah, we did not plan this. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've got the uh whatever the legends the legends uh t shirt with, with Logan Ketterer of El Paso Locomotive on the front and Mika's got the the stadium print of Southwest University Park, the the home of the locomotive. So Indeed. Damn. It, a baseball stadium, but it's got the pitch on it. So Yeah. <laughs> it's got the right lines drawn. Um <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so inadvertent, uh, unsponsored content here, but, but yeah, go check out football (laughs) stadium prints, um, because he probably has made something for your favorite club, like something exists, yeah, something exists for your club. Um, but we also have things that exist, Mika, we've got stickers headed out to the people, um, for show and, uh, in three variants still. Yes, so we've got variants. That word is so loaded nowadays. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, no, we have three uh, types, I'll say. Um, We've got the original green. Oh, God. We've got the original green sticker. We've got the royal purple, and we've got the pride one. All of those have... The first batch of those has gone out to everyone who requested them. Obviously, thank you guys so much for showing interest. Obviously, they are free. We're just trying to... Um, you know, get the word out about the podcast and and um, just share something cool with you all. So, you know, there's been some more interest after this first lot. So I will be uh, ordering another batch soon. Um, so if you missed out this time, then fear not. Just slide into the DMs and say, "Hey, I want a sticker," and, and we'll get you sorted out. So, yeah, those are going out. Those went out. The first batch went out in the mail today. So hopefully, y'all will be getting them soon. And if you're thinking like. I want stickers and or I want to find out where to hear more. Um, follow us on Twitter at HXC football and uh, the episode of the all the episodes of the podcast are up on pretty much every major platform. So check us out. Um, like, subscribe, follow, rate, review, whatever the platform allows. And um, yeah, we'll we'll dive right into it. But I mean, we've got a ton to cover today. We've got we kind of did a mailbag episode because we have enough people to like who are asking questions to actually like do a mailbag episode, which is cool. Which is super awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
all the questions were asked via Twitter. So that HXC football handle that I said earlier, um, that's where you can find us. But um, gosh, we've got manager, manager, Mary go around galore. We've got premier league, <laughs> Serie A, and then we've got a little bit of a grab bag of, of different questions that were asked. Um, and so starting with the manager, Mary go round, we talked about it last episode where we started here <laughs> with, with all of the appointments that were going on and literally about the time that we hit stop on um, the recording and, you know, drifted off to sleep thinking we had sufficiently covered every big major piece of news. FC Barcelona announced Xavi Hernandez as their new manager. Yeah, literally the next day, of course. <laughs> um, and, you know, to be fair, like they even Spanish clubs and FC Barcelona are no exception to this. They even catch out their local media because for some reason, Spanish clubs love to announce these things at like two in the morning. So <laughs> they're like local time. So, yeah, they even caught out their own local media. But yes, Xavi has returned to the Camp Nou, this time as a manager, um, you know, Obviously, he he had been sounded out for the job previous times, and he actually acknowledged as much in his his uh, unveiling, saying you know he'd been offered the job two other times, even though the club had denied it previously. Uh, but I guess third time's the charm because now he is the boss, um, and it's a huge huge appointment. It's a risk for yeah. sure in a lot of ways, but. Um, you know, the last time that FC Barcelona hired someone completely inexperienced, it was Josep Guardiola, and uh, I think that went all right. So, <laughs> hey, um, you know, maybe lightning will strike twice here. But, yeah, it's fascinating. Obviously, you know, he coached Al-Sad in the Qatar Stars League, I think it's called, so the, the mm-hmm. top division of, of Qatari football. Um, and to be fair, I didn't know a lot about his work there, so I dug a little bit into it, and... Um, Apparently, he won a domestic treble last season, uh, which, you know, anywhere you go, I think that's pretty impressive. Al-Sadar, Al- Al- the, you know, city or, or Liverpool or what have you of, of their league. So I think they're expected to win a lot. But, yeah, he's won a lot of trophies. I think seven trophies in, like, just under 100 games. Seven Between seven and nine, I forget. And just under 100 games in charge. So nothing to, you know, shake a stick at. And, uh in terms of the strength of the league, because I know that's going to be people's question, um, they apparently are ranked fifth in the AFC. Mm-hmm. Um, surprisingly above leagues like the Chinese Super League and and things like that. So I thought that was interesting. Um, so I guess comparable to like a Liga in, in that uh, confederation. Obviously, there's levels to this, but uh, yeah. So it's it's fascinating. It'll be really interesting to see what he can do with, you know, much better quality of player to be fair. Um, but still with a, a squad that needs a lot of surgery and a club that, you know, really needs some, how do I say this? Some class, some distinction brought back to it. And he yeah. mentioned that too, in his, uh, in his, um, unveiling is that, you know, in a way he said that things at FC Barcelona have been kind of unprofessional for a while and that he wanted to bring that back. So, He's saying all the right things, but let's see how it goes. <laughs> Xavi really came back to Barcelona and went full scams and said, this is an unserious club. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to make it serious. Again. We're here to do footballing activities. Like, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, no, I like, 
I totally, I, it's crazy that that resonates so much because Barcelona being the massive club that it is, like, it feels so such a far cry that they would hit this level of, like, not being taken seriously, like, to be sure. quite honest. And, like, the with the whole Super League fiasco, like, there's just so much that has gone wrong for a club of that size. And so the Xavi appointment, like, in my mind there's so many ways in which it makes sense in that they're hitting the reset button on a guy who like from Kuman, who was, I mean, let's be honest, like quite indifferent about the form, about the performances, about like everything, nothing phased him, which can be good. But in this case, like his lack of emotionality around Barcelona being bang average is like so troubling. Um, and so he you at least know that cavalier. Yeah. A lot of things. Yeah. yeah. So Xavi like coming in and having that intensity around the club, at least like, obviously Xavi's a very calm individual, like pretty even keel pers- persona, but you know, in those moments, like he's not going to sit there in front of the cameras and be like, Oh, I thought we played okay. And you know, like just, Oh, unlucky, all this stuff, you know, that, was kind of the tone of Kuman's reign. And it's, it, it coincides nicely with the emergence of this like young generation of La Masia products, like that are emerging as first team potential selections and like even Spain options, um, in Ansu Fati, Gavi, like these are, uh, gosh, uh, Pedri, like, I mean, some, some amazing looking young players and, so it seems to mirror or at least like rhymes with Pep Guardiola's emergence, like in that he showed up about the time of Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, like that, you know, and really cultivating um, them into the team that they became. I think the thing that makes me wary of this is the fact that it can go, it can still go the Lampard direction. Right. Yes. Because Lampard joined the club at a time when a lot of young talents were emerging from Chelsea and like it could still go that way where if it turns sour, Barca could, you know, try to go a different direction. I think the difference here being that one, like Barca might not have the money to fire Xavi. Like they barely had the money to fire Kuman, to be honest. So like the <laughs> the fact that I think I think Xavi's appointment cynically by Barcelona is to buy themselves a little bit of goodwill. Like the board needs the goodwill of the fans and Xavi is the way to do that. The optimistic side of me wants to think that Xavi is about to take them into this new golden age, but it could easily go like the opposite direction. If the board continue to just be like the shambles that they've been for, you know, recent, recent memory, but I like the appointment. It's hard not to. It's Xavi. Like he, you know, he's an absolute legend. Um, But there's that, that little voice in the back of my head that says like, could he just be like Lampard 2.0 at, you know, Barcelona? Right. Well, and, and I think that, 
he wouldn't have taken the job if there weren't some assurances made, right? Much like how Antonio Conte had, had joined Spurs. I'm, I'm sure there were things that were guaranteed to him and promises made. And, and Xavi has that in the bank, you know, he yeah. has that equity that he can call on and, and say, this is what I demand, even without having um, really nearly as much European or, or experience or none at all compared to, to Ronald Koeman. But he is a club legend. Um you know, people say Kuman's a legend too, but I think there's levels to that as well. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, he said he had, he had rejected the job twice before. So now leads me to believe if he's taking it now, then that, that he, he must think or must have been promised the, um, you know, the few he, that he'll be able to build something, um, yeah. you know, and, um, yeah, I just can't imagine that he would have taken it now if, if some assurances weren't weren't given to him about what Barcelona is going to be now and in the future. And yeah, I think you're right, too, about buying some goodwill. I mean, FC Barcelona, the club, and the hierarchy needs a PR win right now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is one. Um, so, yeah, I like it, too. I, I hope it works out. FC Barcelona are a gigantic, ginormous club. They're the first club I ever was exposed to in European football. And so I always have that soft spot for them and want them to do well. But um, yeah, I mean, huge risk, but sometimes you do have to be a bit brave um, and, and do something kind of out of the ordinary and not just recycle the same <laughs> managers that have been going around Spain and around Europe. So yeah, best of luck to him. He's got huge job on his hands, um, but with a lot of promising young pieces, as you say. His first game in charge will be a Barcelona derby um, against oh, no Espanyol. <laughs> Who are in a pretty decent vein of form right Who now. Who are level with Barcelona on 17 points. And uh, uh, RDT is scoring a bunch of goals and actually I think got called up to Spain due to some injuries. So, yeah. <laughs> That's... No, that's a must watch. That's a must watch. <laughs> Seriously, it was already a must watch for Xavi's first game in charge, and then make it a a Barcelona derby and a. That's mad. And them actually being yeah level on points. That's wild. Um, you're not going to see that too too often. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, no, I, I I think yeah. I think it makes sense. I think like the writing's been on the wall, but, um, but yeah, them to actually go get him and we'll see how he does. I think he'll be licking his lips with this, with this crop of, of young talent. Um, cause it's just yeah. like some of these players look like they have all of the, the tools to be, um, absolutely unbelievable. And I think like the key now is like, keep on Sufati from getting hurt. Right. <laughs> and Usman Dembele too, who he really uh, yeah. mentioned quite a bit as someone that he really thinks can be a world beater. And I think he can be as well. I think everyone thinks he can be. It's yeah. just about um, health, you know, and, and potentially application. So, yeah. yeah. No, it'll be, it'll be extremely interesting and we'll, we will watch with interest certainly. Um, but Xavi, not the only uh, managerial change that's afoot. Um, the other, the other changes were sackings um, in England, most notably. But Dean Smith out at Villa after being kind of the like feel good story of last year, and indeed getting Villa promoted back to the Premier League. It was his, you know, it's his club. His like 
that he grew up with and everything and to go and take them to the premier league and have this, like this good, this good feeling and this good vibe around the club. And it lasted, unfortunately, like a season and a half or not even a season and a third and Dean Smith out, um, as Villa manager. Um, this seemed to like go so sour so quickly because I feel like Dean Smith wasn't even in danger, maybe even like three or four weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, he's like you said, Dean Smith is this is his club, his boyhood club, the club he supports, and and he, you know, Villa is in he's Villa through and through. Um, you know, he had done everything that the the board had asked of him as as Villa manager in terms of you know one staying up, two finishing comfortably mid table. Um, and, you know, integrating a bunch of good pieces because Villa has spent quite a bit of money. Now, with that being said, I think I think it was always going to be harsh um, or tough, you know, post Grealish, uh, just trying to to move on from such a huge figure in the football club and, and um, someone who who was a match winner. Um, so, yeah, I think that the, the sacking is arguably a little bit harsh, given those those. Uh, you know, those circumstances, but not totally unexpected because this is the Premier League and it's a results-based business. And um, yeah, they weren't getting the results they needed as of late. Um, touching back on the investment, I mean, they made significant investment in the summer. Leon Bailey, Emmy Buendia, who's supposed to be the Jack Grealish replacement, Danny Ings from Southampton. Um, all of these players have suffered a little bit or had their season interrupted by injury. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think he thought probably that he could get something out of these players, but just didn't have the opportunities because of whatever reason they're out of the squad or, you know, just not in form. I think Ings only has like one goal. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a bit harsh, but I'm not surprised and yeah, it'll be interesting to see who Villa try and get in now. Um, I mean, I, I'm just wondering what they expect of of, of any manager coming in now again, post Grealish because yeah. uh, that's a huge change for the football club. And yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think he is a little bit unlucky in a lot of the, the injuries that have befallen um, those players who have come in. Although I will say availability has never been Danny Ng's strong suit. Um, to be totally True. fair, uh, he recently his injury record has been much better for Southampton, like when after he moved. Um, but his first season at Southampton, he still missed, I think, like half the season through like all told through like little small injuries. Um, and he had obviously like two very long high profile injuries while he was at Liverpool, where he basically missed two full seasons. Um and never really recovered from that, you know, in, in that moment. But yeah, I think he's just, I don't know. I think Dean Smith is unlucky to be quite honest. And, and, um, I think we've seen, you know, we've seen plenty of, we've seen this story kind of like over and over again, like when a big player who dominates for a team leaves that team, Gareth Bale at Tottenham comes to mind, uh, Suarez at Liverpool and like they get replaced by a number of other players. You're not really replacing what you're missing. You're just, you're trying to like create something else. 
And I think Dean Smith just needed time to figure out like what this Aston Villa side actually looked like without Grealish. Um, and I just don't think they ever truly got there. Like, I think we got glimpses of what they could be. Um, the Bailey hat trick game like comes to mind. And that was like, what, you know, a month and a half ago <laughs> um, when it was like, Oh my God, Villa are flying and they're just like playing this amazing football and um, scything teams apart. And it just, it, it just never actually came together into something like truly cohesive. So um, yeah, I think, I think he's kind of a victim of circumstance to be quite honest, but the question now becomes like, who do Villa end up going with? And there's been some names floated around, but who do you think? I mean, Steven Gerrard's been been put out there. Uh, there's been a handful of other names. Paulo Fonseca has been thrown in the mix because mm. he's uh, possibly linked with every job, which we may get onto a little bit later. But um, who do you think is the person to take Villa into the next this next era Oh man, I have no clue, honestly. Um, what do you think of the of, of the Gerard appointment potentially? Like, what do you think of of Steven Gerard going to Villa? Yeah, I mean, Steven Gerard coming to England, I think, is an inevitability. Um, whether Villa is the right job for him, I I I don't know. Um, I, I mean, Steven Gerard's done very well at Rangers. To be fair, I mean, breaking Celtic's hegemony and playing dominating football to be fair to him um even and you know withstood a a rough start um and that's also why I kind of don't know what the you know what the matchup would be like between him and Villa are are they going to give him that time (laughs) right because I think they're very much interested in just staying in the Premier League um and you know they've invested a lot and I think Steven Gerrard could definitely work with those pieces they're better players than he's got at Rangers but um I, I just don't know. Uh, yeah. it, it's always hard to gauge kind of what that will translate like coming from the Scottish Premiership to the Premier League. Not to say that that doesn't happen. Of course, it happens with players and, and managers all the time. And I think Brendan Rodgers, you know, did really well at Celtic and has has done well at Leicester up until very recently. Yeah. Um. You know, arguably so. I, yeah, I don't know. And and then I don't even know if Steven Gerrard is necessarily interested in Aston Villa or if he's wanting to hold out for like a, quote, bigger club. I mean, you know, not that the Villa job isn't a big job. It certainly yeah. is. Villa is a huge club. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that one. I'm kind of on the fence about it. Yeah. What about you? I mean, you are the, the Liverpool fan of the show. <laughs> so I think... it's been really interesting seeing some of the discourse on like the Liverpool side of things about Stevie potentially taking another premier league team. I think the reality that Liverpool supporters need to come to grips with like sooner than later is that the job like post Klopp is not Stevie's like by right. Um, the Liverpool job, like hmm. just because he's held another managerial position does not mean that he automatically gets to be the Liverpool boss next. Like that's not how this not should how work for a club of <laughs> Liverpool size. Like you should right. pick the best manager. And if Stevie wants to be the pick, like when Klopp is, is ready to move on, then he needs to prove himself like, and I think he's done a good job to start, at Rangers winning a title 
like in Scotland and doing something, you know, doing little bits in, in Europe and, and stuff. Um, he's kind of like slowed down a little bit this year to be, to be honest. Um, but them winning a title last year was a good step. But I think the reality is like, you've got to show at a, at a higher level before you jump straight to the Liverpool job. Um, and if I'm being completely, completely frank, I think Pep Linders, the Jurgen's assistant is, would be my first choice for Klopp's successor because it would be like a smooth transition. Um, Interesting. Okay. But anyways, that's, that's a, a, a topic for another, another day. The real ones know, <laughs> um, but yeah, Pep, Pep Linders, but, um, but no, I think, so I think the Villa job would be a good step for Stevie improving that this is not like something that he did at in Scotland and like, he can't replicate. Um, but yeah, it'll be fascinating to see if, if it is Steven Gerrard, that'll be really crazy. Cause obviously, you know, when they play Liverpool and he returns to Anfield, like not in, you know, in the opposing dugout, that would just be a very interesting dynamic. Um, but you know who I think would be really interesting for Villa, uh, and all the attacking players that they have that, you know, that amalgamation that you mentioned as coming in to replace Jack Grealish, maybe Lucien Favre, he is out of a job. Yeah. Having just managed Dortmund. And I mean, we know that he can do quite a bit with young players, quite a bit with attacking players. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, that could be a risk because I don't know that has Lucien ever managed in the Premier League. I don't think so. I don't think um, so. But, uh, you know, if they want to be brave, could, they want to be bold. That could be. That could be spicy. That could be. That could be something. <laughs> Yeah, so. and doing and I, more. I love Lucien Favre just from his his time with with Gladbach and um, yeah. So that's proven, my shout. He's proven he can do more with less. Um, like, right. and I mean, not that Villa have less. Obvious, obviously, the club has you know invested a lot, but um, when you're going up against the likes of you know City, Liverpool, Chelsea, etc., like, um, right. Right. Yeah, I think th- that would that would actually be the type of appointment that would be that would be extremely extremely enticing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I could definitely I could definitely see them going for a manager of that profile too. Um, I just think it's more of a, a sure thing as well as yeah. sure as these things can be than than Steven Gerrard at this moment. Yeah. So. The other the other Premier League club to sack their manager, Daniel Fark, Farka, is out at Norwich. Um, this is a little bit of a weird one because poor Daniel Farka gets his first win of the season against Brentford, two one, um, and is sacked at the end. Yeah, first first dub of the season, and apparently he was sacked immediately after the game too in the away uh, in the away dressing room. Um, you know, and the players were just getting onto the bus. So yeah, Uh, but you know, it's not like they had taken that decision right on the spot. I don't think, I think I had read in the athletic that they had decided on that like a fortnight ago (laughs) because, um, things were just not going well. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, this this is definitely one of the ones that you could have expected, I think, just because they hadn't won until until that, that game at the weekend. Um, look, Daniel Varger had Norwich playing brilliant attacking football in the championship. They're definitely just in this odd space where they are too good for the championship, but just not good enough for the Premier League, so it would seem. Um, I think he deserves a lot of credit for what he's done uh, with Norwich, especially with a lot of the, the young players. He's helped develop a lot of players like um, James Madison, Max Ahrens, Todd Cantwell, you know, et cetera. Um, you know, so I think he deserves credit for that. But yeah, it just wasn't good enough for the Premier League. I think I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But I mean, one of them, I think, is their transfer business <laughs> has yeah. arguably been suspect. Um, you know, they've spent a decent amount of money, but have brought in... I mean, you know, they've they spent a lot of money on a couple of players from the Greek division. Um, Lise Malou from Nice, who who is a good player, but maybe hasn't shown everything that he can do. Yeah. They brought Billy Gilmore in, very talented young midfielder from Chelsea on loan, and he barely plays. Um, something's going on with Todd Cantwell, who's supposed to be one of their big stars. He's playing with the U23s right now, um, having missed a lot of... Um, training apparently which is something that Faka really doesn't like so he's like if you're not gonna trade like you're not gonna play um which i guess is fair enough but you wonder what else is going on there that he's still yeah he's still doing <laughs> he's still playing with the u23s um Milo Rashica, josh Sargent, both of them from relegated verde Bremen. um two players that that i like to be fair especially Rashica. i've been following him for a little bit but um yeah you know just it begs the question that are, are these pieces, was it enough to stay up? Clearly so far? No, not really. Yeah. Um, and you know, they're not, they're not exactly cheap, especially having lost Emmy Buendia. They needed to, to really reinforce. And I don't know that they've spent that money in the best way. Um, so yeah, I think there was a lot going against him on top of just, you know, not being able to set up a defense and having a lot of championship players to be fair to them. Yeah, this it's a tough one because I think this is actually like this could have happened their last relegation. Like this this Farka sacking could have happened the last time they got relegated. Mm. He brings them straight back up as champions again and it's just one of those weird things where this Norwich side for whatever reason in whatever configuration is completely built for the championship and they can like, I am convinced that Daniel Farka given the opportunity would go and win the championship again. Um, because he's shown, I mean, he's two for two, um, in his, <laughs> like in his seasons in charge in the championship, his full, like full seasons, he's won the championship both times, but he also right was relegated as by far the worst team in the premier league, like the last time. And uh, it's happening again. Like, um, and I don't know why his style so drastically, like, I don't know how you can be the best team in the second division and the worst team in the premier league. Cause there are two teams who were worse than you in the second division in that division after your promotion. Right. So I just don't get how they can be that bad. And it just hasn't, it just hasn't come together. So yeah, I think credit to Norwich on the one hand for sticking with Farka through like through that and getting back to the premier league. 
the other side of this is I don't really understand what Norwich hope to gain because they've been so abject. Um, I just don't know if safety is like even a realistic expectation at this point. Like they're going to have to go on a crazy run to dig themselves out of the hole that they've dug themselves in the, in the opening, you know, 11 games of the season. So yeah, I I don't know. I, (laughs) is it big Sam time? Is he going to get relegated (laughs) twice in, in two seasons? Oh my God. We don't need, we we've come on. We've moved past the need for big Sam. Surely. If anyone should have gotten Big Sam, it, would have been, it should have been Newcastle, to be honest, because he he could take the the BS before they get who they really want. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Alan Sam-Maximan on Twitter with Big Sam in charge would be absolutely, like, gold content. I would buy <laughs> Twitter blue for that. <laughs> Stop. Oh, my goodness. Well, listen, on the back Norwich (laughs) apparently so I'm hearing like Frank Lampard which I think is uh, I mean I don't know maybe the championship's his level having been at Darby County but that's a fascinating one um (laughs) someone was like this one I really don't know Billy Gilmore Frank Lampard just hope for the best I mean it worked with Mason Mount (laughs) (laughs) yeah we'll have to see about that one yeah yeah i don't know i don't know who their prospects are i like i would like norwich to continue what they did which is i mean they picked daniel farka out of dortmund like dortmund's reserve team manager um so the fact that like they went with kind of a forward-thinking appointment like i'd like them to kind of go a similar direction um and look for someone maybe off the beaten path because I don't I just don't think Norwich is like I don't know I don't think they're built for a manager who <laughs> most whose most recent boss was Roman Abramovich but mm. yeah I could see that but I guess we'll see um yeah so Farka out after getting his first win of the Premier League season the poor guy um brutal and one that kind of flew under the radar in appointment um for a team that has been very much struggling this Serie A season is a player who was a legend in Serie A as a player um and now has a a management job Andre Shevchenko named the Genoa manager um as they're sitting 17th i believe in in Serie A um just above just above the drop zone and uh and yeah Shevchenko in um to that Genoa side um having most recently managed the Ukrainian national team as basically his first job and done pretty well right i mean they yeah. were in the euros <laughs> yeah they yeah they made yeah. it to the euros yeah yeah, so good on him. Um, yeah, this is a fascinating one. Like you said, uh, obviously a, a Serie A and a, a Milan legend scored over 100 goals for the club. Um, this this will be fascinating um, because obviously international management is quite different from, from club management. But on paper, I really like it because this is a Serie A legend 
managing the oldest club in Italy, Genoa, you know, legendary club as well. Yeah. Who've been struggling for years, to be fair. Um, having, you know, they just sacked Davide Ballardini for the fourth time he's managed <laughs> Genoa. Uh, you know, one win in 12 matches, just simply not good enough. Um, so Shevchenko's going to have to turn it around fairly quickly. Um, so, yeah, best of luck to him. But, yeah, this one was just kind of, you know, Twitter informed me of this one. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been flying under the radar. Sacking season hasn't been as, like, nuts in Italy yet. No. Um, but uh, in England, it's been, you know. Yeah. It's it's right up there with cuffing season. So <laughs> <laughs> the Bundesliga the Bundesliga has also been a little bit active um, mm. in terms of the managerial changes. But yes, yeah, Serie A we haven't seen as many. But we talked about Xavi. His first game in charge will be against Espanyol in that Barcelona derby. Shevchenko's first game in charge will be against Jose Mourinho's Roma. Ooh. Shevchenko played for Mourinho at Chelsea. Um, That's right. When he went from AC Milan to Chelsea for that brief, that brief stint in like 06, 07. And I know we'll get onto it, but the way Roma's going, he might, he might have a nice little manager bounce there. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, the narrative in this one is off the charts. <laughs> Paramount plus right. absolutely licking their chops for this one. <laughs> Um, but speaking of Roma, we got a question from, from at Joshua R. Duter, Josh Duter on, on Twitter with Paolo Fonseca missing out on the Newcastle job, as well as the Spurs job. Do you think he lands one of the new openings with as much as pundits <laughs> and with as much as pundits defended Steve Bruce at Newcastle? Why won't they, repl- why won't they sign him to replace Ollie with that United legend? Um, so <laughs> Focusing on the first, Paolo Fonseca. This man has been linked with every opening. He's becoming the Alan Kerbishley of of these these openings. Just the odds makers are going to throw his name in to like every job ev- available. Harry Redknapp, like same deal. What do you think of Paolo Fonseca? And do you think he becomes a candidate, or is this just his agent like working overtime? Well, isn't his agent Georgie Menz? Oh, no. Is it? Is it? Hold on. I thought he's got someone pretty high up. I don't know. Either way, uh, yes, his agent is definitely working overtime to to put his name in the hat for each of these jobs. Um, Paulo Fonseca, the manager, has done pretty well. I mean, he took... Passos de Ferreira, I think it was, into a, a top place in in the Portuguese league. Uh, I think they won a, I think he won a Portuguese cup with Braga. Um, you know, did very well over in was it Ukraine? Yeah, Shakhtar. With Shakhtar. Three yeah, league so, titles. Yeah, and then of course when he was at Roma, I mean the the he he was pretty okay. I mean he beat all the teams that he should have beat. It was just in the big games where he was really um, falling short. Um, but he plays good football. Um, as we know, Portugal, they produce a lot of good managers. But, yeah, um, it it does seem like his name just going to be thrown around to be thrown around because he's available. So what, you know, what the fit for him and for any of these clubs is, 
Uh, we'll just have to see. But um, he is a good manager. So, yeah, yeah I think he'll land somewhere eventually. Um, maybe Villa. I'm just thinking of, you know, the stature of the club and the, the players that they have. That might be a good landing spot. Um, but, yeah, we'll have to see. So, Steve Bruce to Manchester United, how much are you... <laughs> Stop. Stop. <laughs> we are not going to kick the United fans while they're down. We've, no. we've done enough of that. Well, we do have to talk about the Derby later, but, I mean, anyway. Yeah, there won't be as much to <laughs> say. Yeah, I... I uh, I do actually see Paulo Fonseca as a, as a pretty like for him to still be a free agent. I think there's, he's going to land somewhere and probably do some, some good stuff. Um, if his track record is anything to, uh, to sneeze at now, people are bringing up that his record at Roma was actually already like better when he started than, than Mourinho. So a little interesting Portuguese (laughs) violence. Um, (laughs) So <laughs> as we talk about Villa and Newcastle and, and the and United and the Premier League, uh, we should talk about this weekend's results and some of the football. And I mean, there's really nowhere else to start. But at the London Stadium, West Ham three, Liverpool two. Um, I, you know, I've got plenty to say about this game, but Mika for for the neutral um, this is quite the game of football to watch. It was, it was really, really entertaining. I have to say, um, y'all know me. If I don't have to watch the Premier League, I won't. I'll usually try to watch something else, but this one stood out to me just because West, West Ham have been doing very well and, and arguably punching above their weight. Um, the, le- the legend of David Moyes continues, <laughs> uh, um, but Liverpool too, Liverpool are, you know, right there in the title race as well. And so this, this really jumped out on the page. I think at the end of the day, I think West Ham deserved to win. Um, I think that they were, you know, clinical on the counter attack. I think they dominated midfield. I think their physicality was a lot for for Liverpool's midfield to handle at times. Um and and really the the thing about Liverpool here and, and the reason why they scored two goals I really think is is two pieces of individual brilliance. But for the rest of the game pretty much I thought Liverpool were 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 nullified. Um and that's a big credit to, to West Ham. Um of course we could talk about the the officiating. Um I, you know I don't think you can talk about this game without talking about that. But um yeah, overall, I think that West Ham were full value for the win, and, and this is a huge, huge scalp for them. It's not the end of the world for Liverpool, though. Like, this, yeah. I think we have to make that crystal clear. Like, this is, there's no shame in losing to this West Ham. Let me put it that way. Um, yeah. and, and some Reds might disagree with me on that, and I totally get it. Uh, but I, I don't think there is, really. I think this is just one of those, like, you know what? We got, we got caught by a good team at home. We, we, we go again. <laughs> So that's kind of my takes on it. But yeah. um, how do you feel about it as someone who's, who has a, a deeply rested interest in it? <laughs> um, I think the idea of being beaten by a, da- a David Moyes team um, versus a David Moyes team uh, has me feeling a little bit better about the whole, the whole situation. I think, I think the nature of the defeat, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of variables in this particular game that make it a little bit hard to take like any one, <laughs> like any one feeling. I think mm. the overall feeling that I have about it is I am okay. 
Like, I think that a lot of teams are going to slip at the London stadium this year. And like, we're not, not the first, not the last. I think, you know, similar, similar to how I felt like after the draw at Brentford, it's like teams are going to get caught by Brentford this year. Like that's going to happen. Um, I think the things that trouble Liverpool fans about this particular performance was how the midfield got overrun. Um, And I think there's a couple of factors, um, but I think, I think most notably like Jordan Henderson in these sorts of games can start to look a little bit like, at sea. Um, and even with Fabinho in there who was, you know, still doing his thing, like there just wasn't a presence in midfield where Liverpool were ever able to like assert themselves. It was just completely like they were getting played through and over and around. And it was just totally, um, yeah, their ability to control the game was like non-existent. And I think if, Liverpool fans want to like ever think about the thing of like, what do we miss about having Jeannie Wijnaldum? Like this game is a perfect illustration in that he is the guy that locked all that space down. Like he's the guy that kept them from being played around or through or, or all those things like, and was able to retain the ball and play through things, whatever. So I think that's the thing that's troubling Liverpool fans right now is it's like on paper, I like the names on the team sheet. Ox was like, Ox was actually pretty good. Um, I thought, um, especially carrying opened up after after you scored the first one for sure. He became more influential. I think, I think he probably still needs like some sharpness around like the final third and that final ball, all those sorts of things. Um, but I think the, the fact that Henderson and Fabinho are in there and it was still, it still felt very light in midfield. Like that's where it starts to feel like, okay, well who else, like what else are we going to do? If like, if that midfield is getting played through or played around and kind of nullified, then I mean, Fabinho is like that guy. Um, So yeah, I think that was more so what was like kind of troubling Liverpool fans in the wake of this is like, what's the answer in midfield? Um, but there is also kind of the weird asterisks of this game of the officiating. And I mean, I'm curious because I obviously have like strong opinions, but the two major decisions are the, the opener, um, like, was it a foul on Angelo Ogbonna? And then the second is the Aaron Cresswell challenge. Like, is it, is it a red? So I guess like starting with the goal, what did you think of, of, this particular goal and do you think it was a foul on Allison? Yeah, so I I'm kind of gonna fence it on this one because I we've seen this be given. Yeah. We've seen it not be given. Um I think I think Angelo Ogbona has every right to go for that ball. But the way that his arm comes up does look like it impedes Allison. But on the flip side, perhaps Allison should be stronger yeah. <laughs> there in that moment and punch it away or or, I mean, where's the defender as well, you know? I, I, don't, I don't know if you guys were zonal marking at that point. I, I don't remember. But, I mean, I, I could see either way. I think if this yeah. had been called back, I would have been like, okay. I mean, yeah. But 
I also see why it wasn't. So that's why for me, it's like, well, at the end of the day, if I can see it both ways, then that means it's not clear and obvious and therefore it should stand. Um, But no, I I mean, if it had happened to, you know, Aaron Ramsdale or Burn Lane or someone, I'd be furious. And it has done. Right. Um, Actually, it happens to Burn Lane quite a bit because he's very cautious coming out with crosses and I think he gets bullied a lot. Um, But yeah, that's, that's where I am on that one. On the Crestwell Challenge, that's a red for me. Yeah. Um, it's violent. <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't think he means that. But, again, that's irrelevant. I, I just think that, that that's a red card for me all day. Yeah. Yeah, the, the goal itself, like, I definitely am seeing sort of the – I think my emotional reaction in the moment was, like, that gets called, like, 9,999 times out of 10,000. Like, Precisely. there's just – it it feels like those sorts of fouls get called like all the time for weak shit on the goal on the goalkeeper. And it feels like it's totally arbitrary, like whether it's called for your team or not. Like, um, sure. and again, not trying to drag United back into the conversation, but Liverpool, uh, the two, one, uh, or two two nil against Manchester United in the season that Liverpool won the title. That game, the Mo Salah like Allison assists length of the field thing. Earlier yeah. in that match, Roberto Firmino scores like a fucking screamer. But there's a challenge with David de Gea, like with Virgil Van Dyke in the box. Like they're both jumping for the ball, and de Gea is jumping towards the ball. Van Dyke is jumping with eyes only towards the ball. There's a collision. The ball falls to Firmino. He dribbles inside, scores a curler. The United players surround the referee, like absolutely berate. And it's Craig Pawson who also refereed this game. (laughs) And they end up going to VAR and disallowing the goal for a foul on the goalkeeper. No raised arms, no like anything like that. The keeper is jumping towards Virgil. Virgil's jumping like back and in the air to try to, head the ball and I think like the inconsistency is what you know like what is what constitutes a foul on the goalkeeper and what doesn't like is a raised arm from Ogbonna not a foul or is it a foul like can I touch the goalkeeper can I not touch the goalkeeper like how protected are they that was really where like my frustration and I think most of the frustration with refereeing in the Premier League now is the inconsistency um, and just the fact that like nobody really knows what they're looking at or what constitutes like a good decision, a bad decision. And, um, right. and so similarly, we have this challenge from Aaron Cresswell that looks every bit as bad as like the Mason Holgate challenge in the Everton game. He got sent off against Spurs where he makes a clearance and kind of like his feet end up like, going into the back of Hoiberg, I think Mm. it's a similar situation where he definitely doesn't mean it, but it's a, like it's given as a red, the situation in the Liverpool game wasn't given as a foul on the field. And so when they review it and decide not to send him off, it's not given as anything. Um, And so it's a total let off um, for West Ham, I think. And the, rationale given was the force of the contact was not strong enough to constitute a red. Um, but that essentially means that like in order to send Aaron Cresswell off, he would have had to like break Jordan Henderson's fucking leg. 
Because <laughs> the only reason the force isn't enough is because, like, he caroms off the ball mm, and kind of, right. like, it redirects him or whatever. But the force of the challenge itself, like, he's already coming in quite high, which is why he bounces off the top of the ball and ends up at knee level of, of Jordan Henderson. But they said the force of the contact wasn't violent enough to constitute a red which would suggest that you would need to have a violent collision and the height and all that stuff like doesn't ultimately matter, which means like this is why more people are getting hurt in these sorts of challenges, because like if that's legal to put in, then that's like, I don't know, like if that's not if that's not punished, then I'm not really sure like like if he was seriously hurt, I'm sure Pawson would have sent him off. Like if 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 Henderson was hurt at the end of that, so which is which is not the way that you want to be refereeing right these kind of decisions because if it's right. all about the effect, then we're in trouble. Yeah, and we're gonna keep <laughs> the sport getting these is in like, trouble. Yeah, and we're gonna keep getting these like serious injuries. Um, right, right. Yeah, I do. I do understand that. So for yeah, sure. I feel pretty strongly about that one. I I do think obviously like the red card would have changed the games pretty significantly because that challenge goes in in like the tenth minute. So like, mm, um, right. that would have been a long time for West Ham to play down a man. Um, but the way they kicked on from there, like they showed exactly why they are where they are in the table. Like this was not a fluke. This was not like. I mean, maybe a little bit lucky in the fact that they didn't have a sending off, but right. not lucky in the way that they set up or the way they played or the or the goals that they scored. Like they are a quality team to be taken seriously. Well, yeah, and the the last thing I'll say too on West Ham in this one is they're one of those teams that's like get you somebody that can do both. Like they can <laughs> they can bunker. And then as soon as you guys score, as soon as Trent gets that that set piece goal, which was brilliant, they're like, "All yeah. right, bet we're coming back out," and did that just as effectively. Yeah. Um. I mean, there was more space for Liverpool too, but, um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've never seen it. I mean, not this season at least. A team that can so quickly change the whole tactical approach <laughs> just like that, just because they've conceded, they're like, "Okay, we're gonna come back out and." and crack on from there. And it never looked like, I mean, they just looked like they knew exactly what they needed to do yeah. based on the game state. And that's a credit to David Moyes. Right. I mean, you know, I take my Arsenal side, for example, like we don't really change how we play that much based on the right. game state. Like I think our style is very defined and, um, you know, we'll make subs and things like that. But I, it was just really striking to me how they went from, deep block after the very early goal to coming right back out and, and going toe to toe with Liverpool. And, and usually that's a suicide against the Liverpool's side that will hit you on the break with pace, but yeah, worked out for them here. Yeah. And they, they did, uh, overcome two brilliant Liverpool goals, <laughs> which is, I know, yeah. like, I don't want to like wax too lyrical cause it isn't a loss, but, the um the free kick well you know it's moved off the spot i guess um by alexander arnold so it's not direct from the free kick technically but um the free kick goal and then uh divakarigi with like nice finish a number nine's finish to to uh to remember um yeah a couple of really good goals oh actually all five goals are except for the the first 
all five goals have yeah. their own kind of like quality about them. The Fernal's goal is, is, is really, you know, yeah. on a, like uh, in a space all its own among the West Ham finishes, but um, yeah, quality on display. And like, I mean, for the neutral, this was, <laughs> this was one of the best games to watch of the weekend. Um, yeah. On the inverse side of that, one that a neutral would have not enjoyed and me as a neutral watching actively did not enjoy was the <laughs> Manchester Derby. Um, two nil win for Manchester city at old Trafford. And I mean, remarkable in how unremarkable the match was because a Manchester Derby should give us plenty of talking points. And unfortunately we're left with Manchester United, extremely pedestrian and city completely dominant. Yeah. I mean, what more, more is there to say about Manchester United? It's, you know, ever since the, the five nil mauling at old Trafford by Liverpool, it's win, draw, loss. I mean, just bang average stuff, Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and that win coming against a really abject Spurs side. Um, yeah. Uh, this, was not interesting to be honest. <laughs> um, I think that, I think that city are just the best side in England. Um, I think the table might not reflect that right now. I don't, I don't know. I haven't looked, but I, I still think that they are pound for pound the best side in England and probably will win the, the Premier league. Um, and Manchester United seem like they are just going to continue on with, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and, Again, the best the best coach for them is off the market now. So, yep. <laughs> um, uh, Saka as a wing back does not work, <laughs> and there are rumors now that that Jaden Sancho is being trialed in that right wing back role, which I think is fascinating. Brendan um, Rodgers at Liverpool type beat. <laughs> Bobby Firmino as a wing back, Raheem Sterling as a wing back, late stage Arsene Wenger type beat, fucking. <laughs> Oxley Chamberlain as a wing back, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, poor Sancho. I don't even know what to make of that. I mean, and who knows? It could be brilliant, but I, I just think that's when you're like truly desperate for an answer <laughs> is when you're trying out your star winger as a wing back. Cause it's not the same, like it's <sighs> not the same role. No. And, um, yeah, I mean, really, I don't know what else to say about this city. We're, we're good. And they won. And, it, you know, Old Trafford is not a place that's scary to go to right now. And I think United need to put all their ba- eggs in the maybe the Champions League basket, honestly, because Ronaldo seems to really shine on that stage as as per, to be fair. I, <laughs> I was just thinking about Ox. <laughs> about Ox playing wingback and Wenger being like... <laughs> Andre Mariner is not the only one who can mistake you for Kieran Gibbs. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, anyway, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. The, it, yeah. I've, I've said my piece on United. I, I, I agree. I think this, this match was the last 20 or the last 30 minutes of United Liverpool played out in in a full 90 um, where <laughs> city essentially could have done whatever they wanted and decided to just like stroll. Right. So, yeah, I just, 
God, I'm sorry to Manchester United fans that they're being subjected to this because, I mean, it's just... Uh, and the fact that the fact that we're all being denied Jaden Sancho is just like a crime against humanity. Um, truly, like truly we should be watching this, this young man ball out. And instead we, he is on the bench and being considered as a wingback. So anyway, <laughs> uh, I never thought I would have sympathy for Manchester United fans. And yet here we are. Um, <laughs> We we look around the Premier League. We talked about we talked about Norwich's win over Brentford, and I think the talking point here is like obviously we know what it meant for Norwich in that they had a, a coaching change, um, which so the result didn't really impact them in a material way. But it is a notable loss for Brentford, and they're fourth in a row, I believe. Um, yes. And I may have cursed Brentford in a small way by saying they on this show. <laughs> They have not had a bad performance this season. They've now had like four <laughs> bad performances. Well, well, yeah, I mean, debatable, um, but yeah. they four bad results. We'll say since then. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, that was the question I had for myself is should we be worried about Brentford for losses on the bounce? Obviously not great. I went and looked at the advanced stats and they do have superior XG in three out of those four losses, except surprisingly to Burnley who smacked them 3-1, yeah. which is should be, you know, illegal. But um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think you do I think you do have to worry a little bit. I mean, those those four losses coming either side of of a decent result against Stoke City in the Carabao Cup, but obviously they're they're wanting to secure Premier League survival and I think they will. Um I don't know. I can't remember if I picked them for relegation or not, but you know, we've we've gone through a handful of match days now, and there's definitely teams worse than Brentford yeah. <laughs> and worse coached. So I think Thomas Frank probably will find an answer to this soon. And I don't know if they're dealing with injuries or whatever, but um, yeah, they've their their underlying stats are not bad. So you would think that that the quality will show eventually. Yeah, this is a little bit of like <laughs> Br Antford Eiton. Handshake meme, uh, like XG gods not smiling on them, um, or whatever. <laughs> You'll have to like spell that one out on Twitter so people know <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah, I, yeah, my insanity does not th- that did not translate well to the audio format. Um, yeah, but Brentford, I think a little bit, well, definitely unlucky in this one in that they had like. 20 shots um yeah so yeah they they probably deserved more here and i mean credit to thomas frank in that he's taken like a very calm approach to this like poor run in saying like hey i'm happy with the performance and like that's what matters at the end of the day so i mean yeah that's probably the right answer for brentford is like everybody stay calm um Cause it's not, it's not that bad uh, what they've got going. And I mean, there was always going to be bumps in the road for a newly promoted side. Um, but yeah, the underlying stats support that they will, that they will be back. Um, bouncing around the league, a couple of, a couple of notable results. Um, Palace two, wolves zero. And uh, Patrick Vieira has put together an impressive run from palace and has them playing some really good football. 
Yeah, he's for real. I think I said that they would give Wolves some issues, and those are the two like ex- really exciting managers that are not like in the top six, if you will, in, in Bruno Lage and, and Patrick Vieira. So yeah, keep keep an eye on both of them because they're both playing really nice stuff. But you know, Patrick gets the the better of them this time. Yeah, yeah, that was like two clubs who are emerging as like the the one you should watch like if you've got no one to watch right 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 and i think yeah. palace palace are are that team right now um because yeah i think wolves have shown that they play some really good stuff but in terms of like turning that into results they've been a little less successful recently palace have started to turn that to turn that corner a little bit, although Wolves still sitting a little bit above them um, in the table. But um, elsewhere, uh, Southampton beat Aston Villa 1-0, which kind of precipitated this whole this whole shift away from, from Dean Smith. Um, Chelsea and Burnley drew 1-1. Chelsea, like... Can we have a conversation, a small conversation about Chelsea? They We've kind of neglected them because they've they haven't been like that exceptionally noteworthy. They had that drubbing of Norwich and since then they've, they're kind of struggling for goals in some of these games. They make a really big mess out of finishing. Yeah. And that, and that's not just like a team of Werner joke. That's like a, <laughs> a systemic thing at Chelsea. I agree. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what's going on there. And again, I don't think we could have drawn any conclusions from thumping Norwich 7-0. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what the underlying stats say, but it just like the vibe is that this is like kind of a false table position for Chelsea. But yeah. we'll see. We'll see how, how it continues. Obviously, they have a fantastic squad and one of the best managers in the world. So, um, you know, he's made them really, really hard to beat. But yeah. Finishing and, and all that is is questionable at the moment at Stamford Bridge. Um, Brighton won one against Newcastle, and this was this was a big case of <laughs> Brighton being like really unlucky <laughs> to not As to not per. get the three points. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll just hit repeat on that one. Everton and, and Spurs drew nil nil. Um, the Holgate red card was like the only talking point out of this game, and Antonio Conte, I think. He's got his work cut out for him <laughs> with this first squad. Sure, yeah. Um, Leicester and Leeds drew 1-1. And uh, the Arsenal, 1-0 over Watford in a professional performance. Yes, Emil Smith-Rowe scores another goal. I think that's three goals on the bounce. And he gets called to England. So proud of him. Um, yeah, really professional performance. Um Yurai Kuchka got sent off two yellows, um, the former Milan man. So that kind of changed the game a little bit. But uh, yeah, really pleased. I mean, it's 10 games, nine, 10 games unbeaten. So going into the international break, it's kind of like bittersweet because you want to keep going. But at the same time, maybe it's a good place to kind of reassess, reset, and, and then go again in a fortnight. So there's plenty of notable matches when the international break ends and the premier league returns but most notably among them a hardcore football derby (laughs) yeah ouch at Uh, anfield (laughs) at anfield so 
Um, hey, who knows? The Arsenal have been putting in some good some good stuff, so this could be. Yeah, I've I've spoken with other Arsenal fans, and we'd be over the moon with a point. So <laughs> <laughs> we're not. A lot of us are not delusional about delusional about our our chances at Anfield. But yeah, that'll be a fascinating one. And uh, headed into the international break, it is Chelsea still top um, by three points. City uh, just behind them. Uh, level on points, West Ham, uh, level on points with city and Liverpool, just a point behind, uh, West Ham and city on 22 and Arsenal sneakily in fifth on 20 points and above United blessed above United above Spurs. Yeah. Like we're just, I'm just trying to enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, bright uh, United and Brighton level on points just outside of that top five. Um, then it's wolves and spurs, which, um, the irony is not lost on any of us. Um, (laughs) palace Everton. Um, and then down at the bottom propping up the table is Burnley, Newcastle and Norwich. Um, you know, no surprises there. But yeah, Watford, gosh, it is crazy reading the bottom of the table. Watford, Villa, and Leeds um, just outside of the drop zone. So yeah, there is there's a lot happening. There's a bit of trouble, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Leeds, again, I think this was another case of uh, taking the lead and then ending up with no points or with a point. Yeah, they just they just have not been their dominant selves. I mean, Leicester's a good side, but yeah. <laughs> their lead lasted two minutes in this one. Rafinha, 26th minute, and Harvey Barnes with a 28th minute equalizer. So, <laughs> And Rafinha is like on another level from the rest of that lead squad, so yeah. I'd be shocked if he stays there too, too much longer. So that's the Premier League, and... Uh, I think we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back. We'll talk Serie A um, and then some general mailbag stuff. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Hardcore Football. Mika, we we head to Italy and Serie A. Um, and I mean, plenty to talk about, but the biggest match of the weekend was the Derby della Madonnina, the Milan Derby. Uh, and Inter won, AC Milan won. Um, ends in a stalemate. Yeah, this was such a good game. Like, one of the best draws I've seen in quite a while, to be fair. Um, they opened the scoring with the the Chalhanolu penalty. Um, Hakan Chalhanolu against his old side. <laughs> um, and then he takes the penalty really well, and then he cups his ears to the, the curva. Yeah. Spicy. Um, <laughs> uh, but then no, five minutes uh, later. No calma. No, 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 no. No, no respect. No pleading with the fan. No, none of that. He was, he wanted all the smoke. Um, <laughs> and then DeVry uh, scores an old goal five minutes later. So, yeah. Um, both, yeah, both of the goals scored by Inter, actually, now that I realize that (laughs) Um, but either but it was still a really fun game lots of shots you probably inter will feel that they needed all three points to try and um you know catch milan and and napoli a little bit more and and their finishing was pretty poor to be fair um i think on another day they probably win it but milan did just enough to keep them out of it um but yeah it was a really entertaining game for the neutral and i just want to say 
there are so many pieces in this Milan side that I really like. Um, Franck Castier, who he makes he makes the mistake by turning towards his own goal for the penalty, which yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll have to forgive him for that one. But he's probably like one of the best midfielders in the world that doesn't get talked about quite enough. Um, he's currently trying to renegotiate a deal with Milan and is asking for stupid money. So we'll see if that gets done. But if it doesn't, I I'm sure Premier League clubs will descend on him <laughs> um, like crows. So <laughs> Finale too is a very very special player and Fikayo Tomori. Like I don't understand why he's not getting called for England, um, especially when you see guys like Tyrone Mings being called. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I, I think Tomori is an outrageous player. His recovery pace is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, just a really, really good player. And I think that England are, and Gareth Southgate, um, if, if he switches allegiances to another nation that he's eligible for, that'll be a big, big um, stain on, I think, Gareth Southgate's, picks because i think he deserves to be in the england squad he's a really good player but yeah overall a really entertaining game and probably the fair result i think the draw yeah yeah i think that was that was my takeaway primarily was like that it was it felt it felt about right um i think the the fact that this match has regained the level of relevancy that it deserves because for so long this Juve essentially nullified the importance of this match which is a shame like this this match should always be a big deal um and so the fact that it is again is just very uh, it just it it gives you those like good nostalgia kind of vibes um and from a purely aesthetic like uh perspective as well there is something about blue and black versus red and black that is like visually very pleasing um the the blue and black stripes versus the red and black stripes it's just like the battle lines are drawn this is like renaissance italy all over again um no so i i just i just love that this match matters um again like in 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 the league um because for a long time (laughs) juve made sure that it basically didn't mean anything um right so yeah it's nice to have them back and i think yeah, like you said, stats-wise, I mean, it lined up more or less. I think AC Milan, like, just edged chance creation, um, and possession was 51-49, like, as evenly matched of a game as you can kind of, as you could kind of draw out. So, um, yeah, a fair result, all things considered, and and some great, some great moments. And, uh, yeah, I think it lived up to the billing. Maybe not in the number of goals. I think people would have wanted to see maybe a winner, but just for the, just for the scenes. Um, But a club who did grab a winner over the weekend and had some extremely wholesome scenes was Venezia uh, winning three, two against AS Roma in, in Venice. And um, this result, like debate all you want about whether Venezia deserved to win here or whether Roma deserved to win or all of those things, because I think on, on balance, like Roma probably should have 
one, even if it was like four or three or, or whatever. But, um, this Venezia side, like have made themselves a, a bit of a problem for teams. They, they are not going quietly. No, they're finally starting to put it together. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think statistically and even I test wise, Roma probably should have gotten more from this and they were leading at one point to one. Um, but, but let it get away from them. Um, you know, Roma have, I think been unlucky. They've hit the post nine times, which is more than anyone in Serie A. Um, and they do have one of the highest XGs for in Serie A too. So, <laughs> I mean, that just tells you that there's some un- unluckiness and some, you know, wayward finishing, uh, Tammy Abraham hits the post in this one as well. There was a wide yeah. open chance that he had that, that just did not want to go in. Um, he does have that brilliant goal though. Like some of the best number nine play I've seen, uh, in Serie A post Romelu Lukaku, arguably that may be a hot take, but where he chests it down in the box, bodies, his man turns fires goal. Um, he's, he's excellent. And, um, he, Shomorodov, Shawari El Shawari, who's having like a, a renaissance back being back at Roma, having been in, in China. I mean, there there are pieces there that are trying to do, you know, do the hard yards for this Roma side, but their defending is just shocking at times. Yeah. And, you know, look no further than David Okarek's winner for Venezia. This is one of the worst offside traps I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I don't know what they're doing there. Um, one of the defenders, I don't know if it was Mancini or, or Ibanez or someone just like watches him kind of sail by. And then they're, you know, they're always going to be on the back foot after that. And he, Okareki's finish is outrageous. He does this little like step over with the right foot and then fires other side and completely just freezes. You know, Rui Patricio totally gets in his head and it's, it's a really nice winner. Um, it starts actually with, uh, Gianluca Bustia losing the ball and then regaining it and, yeah. and playing it forward. So fair play to the American who's having a really good time uh, in Venezia. So yeah, Roma maybe deserved to win this and, and, you know, Jose Mourinho <laughs> bitched a lot afterwards about referees and, and whatnot, but uh, <laughs> you know, you gotta be happy for Venezia too. I think the, yeah, the Okareke finish. I love because it's very rare that you see a goalkeeper get his ankles broken. <laughs> like you right. often see goalkeeper, you know, they might get dribbled past or they might slide out and they, you know, the, the person kind of drags the ball past them or something like that. This is Okareke makes a head fake and then finishes with his left foot. And Ruben Patricio is diving the wrong way and catches himself and like, folds it was so comfortable yeah it was so crazy like i've I've never really seen a a player do that to the keeper like i've seen somebody send him the wrong way that sort of thing but he literally broke rude patricio's ankles like which is such a unique move and i think (laughs) the timing of the finish too it's really weird because he holds on to the ball for a really long time and I think a little bit longer, like we always talk about taking the shot early and catching a keeper out. I think in this case, he actually takes it late and catches the keeper out um, yeah. and gets a little closer to Patricio than he was anticipating. Um, Okareke for me is emerging as like a choice among a number of like top tier Nigerian strikers right now. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Victor Osimhen, the other one thriving in in Serie A at the moment, but um, they have like some legitimate options. Um, and yeah. I think Okereke is in for potentially a pretty big move this summer, especially if he makes any sort of impact at the World Cup. Yeah, Okereke, Ihenacho, who probably more of a number ten. Awesome man, Omar Sadiq. Yeah, like Nigeria are extremely top heavy. Now, yeah. if they can, if their FA could get it together to get these players on the pitch and, and around the <laughs> squad, that, that's another question. But yeah, um, yeah, fantastic finish. Um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting, though, that Jose Mourinho was complaining so much about the officiating. Um, and he was incensed afterwards. And um, well, I do think he has a point but at the same time this is not new other city uh, other city clubs have been dealing with this there's been some some shocking calls uh recently and i mean look no further than than ampadu's red card yeah against spezia i mean he had just come back from from being suspended after that one or, or dumfries against juve i mean it's not just him and all these other clubs have you know gone and done their business so Yes, there's a little bit of unluckiness about Roma, but I, I, you know, I don't know if Jose Mourinho is just like annoying his players already or what. But um, I don't know. Do you think they're in trouble already, or are the underlying stats such that they're just not like acting like a Mourinho team? Like, why is the defending so bad, <laughs> but the XG like kind of near the top? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's really weird. It it genuinely is weird. Like, I I don't. I don't know if I even have a good answer for why they've been so un Mourinho. Um, <laughs> I think he would tell you that he doesn't, I don't think he believes in the personnel that he has in defense. Like he has multiple times called out the likes of Kumbula. Um, shit. Who else was he talking about? Uh, oh, Borja Mayoral. Like he talked That's about right. him yeah. as being like not good enough. And like it all came out after that first, you know, the shocking six one to uh, to Bodo Glimpt. But the uh, mm-hmm. I I just think yeah, it's partially that. And then I mean, when you look at too how he's how he's lining up, like he's playing El Sharawi and you know Karsdorp at wing back, and it's like these are some weird choices, like. El Sharawi at wing back. It, that's not. That's, he's just not. Um, and we talk about the wingers as wing backs type thing, but yeah, um, it's a little bit of like a Yannick Carrasco at 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 Leti vibe, where ostensibly he's playing as a defender, but everybody knows that's not what he's there to do. So mm-hmm. essentially, like you have this flank that you can just kind of go down for free. Um, I think in Venezia's case, they were a little bit more opportunistic. Like they, it's a set piece and a penalty. And then the, the, they break the offside trap for the Okareke goal. But, um, so I don't know that any of like the systemic problems really show themselves in this one. I think it's almost more like the concentration in three key moments, like undoes what otherwise would have been like a quite comfortable win. And that is defending a set piece, (laughs) <laughs> fouling in the box and then that moment of holding the the offside trap right um and those three mistakes lead to three venezia goals so yeah it's uh 
And to be fair to Venezia, those weren't the only goals that they could have scored. They created chances as well, but, um, right. But yeah. And it led to like, it led to extremely wholesome scenes at Venezia's stadium as well. Um, which their stadium is so odd, like in top tier professional soccer in that, like there is no roof on the, on three sides of it. And there is no, like, it's very open air and it's very like, it feels very like lower league. Um, <laughs> yeah. Almost German. Like it feels more like. It's also on an Island. Like <laughs> it's on a. You can literally see yeah. like the sale, like the sails of sailboats, like in the back of some of the highlights. Um, yeah. And I've, I've read and heard that it's a, an incredible place to take in a game, but yeah, it is very like, lower league like high school stadium type yeah. vibes. <laughs> <laughs> the, and it the is Pier a Luigi yeah. Penzo is, is what it's called. And yeah, it's it's literally on an island. It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so Venezia get the get the result and Mourinho again <laughs> he was running he was running all kinds of he like I, I need to protect myself or whatever. <laughs> whatever he yeah, said. yeah. He's like, I have to protect myself. I have to be honest, and it's like, what? <laughs> I, I just I, the the last thing I'll say is that I just find it really interesting the complaints about the personnel because they've spent so much money. I mean, you talked about Mirage Kambula. They spent thirty million euros on him. Yeah, I I think that's right. You gotta make that work. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. you know, so. And it's not like they didn't know that they had pieces that they needed to think about. I mean, Leonardo Spinazzola, he injures himself pretty significantly at the Euros. Like, you have to plan for that. Maybe don't re-sign Chris Smalling. Like, I, you know, Mkhitaryan, can you really count on him at 32 years old, 33 years old, to produce 20-plus goal involvements like he did last season? I just I don't know if I have that much sympathy for, for him complaining about the personnel. The, the club had backed him. And, yeah, um, yeah that's all. <laughs> It's just, I think Roma just need, they deserve better to be honest. Yeah. Some of the things he's been saying. It's, it's funny how it all went South from the time that we like, <laughs> we shouldn't know. Like we were literally, that's the problem with Mourinho. Like he gets you and then just, just wait. <laughs> Is he, well, I thought we'd be waiting a bit longer. God yeah. damn. I really thought we had a couple of seasons before we, before we hit the meme version, um, <laughs> but we're fully and there again. The, the, the underlying stats will tell you that they have been a little bit unlucky. So maybe this turns around, but yeah, God, he's being, I don't know. I just don't know how you can like how that makes a dressing room feel, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. What do we know? Um, <laughs> so going around the league, uh, briefly, Empoli and Genoa played to a two, two draw. Um, Spezia beat Torino one nil, um, Juve back to winning ways against 10 man Fiorentina. And it was a quadrado 91st minute goal for the one nil Juve either (laughs) win one nil or lose. (laughs) There is no in between unless it's champions league, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Atalanta beat Cagliari 2-1. Duvan Zapata um, 
with the the winner in this one right before halftime. Pasolich scored the scored the first, and Atalanta kind of like despite a couple of these disappointing results against United in the league, Atalanta are definitely like starting to look more like Atalanta. Yeah, slowly but surely. <laughs> um, that win took them to fourth um, above Lazio, actually. So um, definitely a good result for Gasparini and co. Um, Bologna got a 2-1 win over Sampdoria, and uh, Marco Arnautovic scored the winner for Bologna. Because um, he's there. Yeah, because <laughs> that's a thing that occurred. Um, Udinese got a 3-2 win against Sassuolo, and... Um, they had a man sent off late. McKengo got a red card. Um, but yeah, three, two win for Udinese over Sass and Sassuolo had been looking much better um, and had won a couple of games in a row, but now they've lost two on the bounce. And that's just like the nature of Sassuolo is that they end up smack dab in the middle. <laughs> yep. Gerard De La Feu, De La Feu scores for Udinese though. So notable for he is there. That's another, other. yeah, another person <laughs> who is also at Watford freely. <laughs> yeah, they're at that club. Um, Napoli held by um, Hellas Verona, and the news here is <laughs> Gio Simeone just absolutely refuses to stop scoring. Yeah, I don't know if this is a purple patch or if he's genuinely like showing a new level. We'll have to see, but um, Lautaro, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> might be called for Argentina, you don't know. <laughs> but yeah, no, Hellas are giving plenty of people problems, so yeah. good on them. Yeah, they're up to 10th, um, but yeah, they've they've made life hard for the for the title contenders and they're kind of playing that like spoiler that Levante role right now. Um and uh yeah, for Verona like a little bit of a weird one because they actually end the game down to nine because uh, Daniel Bessa and Nikola Kalinic get sent off like late, late in the game. Um, <laughs> so they ended the game with nine, but yeah, um, that is, I like to think that's the Simeone influence on, on the Verona side. A couple of players getting sent off. Must be. Yeah. Must be. <laughs> <laughs> that's the needle we've been looking for. And then Lazio took care of business against Salernitana three nil. Um, so that leaves us with, Napoli and Milan drawing at the top of the table. Um, that means they both are on 32 points. Um, Inter just behind, uh, and a seven-point gap has emerged um, between Napoli, Napoli and AC Milan at the top, and then Inter uh, seven points behind Atalanta in fourth and Lazio fifth with uh, Mourinho's Roma in sixth. Juve eighth now level with Arnautovic's Bologna <laughs> and uh, mid table. Yeah. Bottom of the table. Um, the two Genoa clubs uh, right next to each other down near the bottom Genoa in 17th with, with their new boss Shevchenko and Sampdoria in 18th. So the Derby might hold a little bit more uh, intensity if one of them's fighting to or if they're both fighting to stay out of the drop zone and then Salernitana 
off the bottom of the table because Calgary is there now. So, um, mm. yeah, not the uh, not the best run for the Islanders. Um, the Sardinians? Sardinia? Sardinia, yes. Yeah. Um, and Salernitana up to 19th. Um, Venezia's win took them to 15th and three points clear of the drop zone as well. So, um tight at the bottom of the table though and and uh plenty to play for in Serie A but that is where we stand and uh Mika is it is it time for some listener questions yeah I figured we'd open it up to some more questions we'll swerve La Liga for now even though a lot of shit went on in La Liga (laughs) I feel like we need to just swerve that for a little bit and just get into some of the things that people sent us and they sent us a lot of good ones yeah the the first came from from Grant Sunberg on Twitter at Goatfoot twenty one. Who are your favorite national teams to cheer for outside of the U.S.? Yeah, this is a fitting question, being that the international break is upon us. It so is. thank you, Grant, for that one. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, of course, I'm a U.S. men's national team fan. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I I come from a multicultural background, so you know, my dad is Italian, so of course, I will watch Italy. I, I rooted for Italy in the Euros. Um, anytime a, there's a European tournament, I, I tend to pay attention to the Atsuri. Um, I also really love Japan. My mom's half Japanese, so I will watch Japan. I still am heartbroken over the game against Belgium in the World Cup because <laughs> <laughs> I really thought Japan was about to do a madness, and yeah. then Belgium just came right back into it and broke hearts over in East Asia. Um, and yeah, I think J- the Japan's really just been an underrated, um, producer of talent and look no further than, than Takahiro Tomiyasu at, at Arsenal, who's doing really, really well. So, um, yeah, those are the, the two other nations that I, I tend to key on, um, just having, um, you know, background from my, my parents. So, yeah, that's, uh, a less interesting but similar story for myself in that um, Germany is the team primarily that uh, I support outside of the U S and that is due to my grandma is like was born in Germany and um, came over to the States. So we have that, that sort of connection. Um, The, plight of the German national team over the past couple of years has obviously been a little bit strange, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, the, um, it's actually, it's actually a big reason why my sister is a Bayern Munich fan is because Mm. of, um, I think the 08 euros was the first time that she like watched Germany in earnest and, uh, like, getting connected to, I think primarily like Schweinsteiger and, and Podolsky, like, um, and, but yeah, you know, the Bayern contingent, Miroslav Klosa, um, of course drew her to Bayern. So yeah, um, Germany is, is always, is always the move, but it's been a little bit of a rough go in recent, in recent tournament showings. So do you know where your grandma was from in Germany? Yeah. So they lived in um like the Düsseldorf area. Okay, so the the Rhine. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yes. Düsseldorf is awesome. I love that city. I haven't cool. been which 
I would really love to go. Um, so yeah. 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 That's awesome. If I didn't support Gladbach, I probably would be a Fortuna fan, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fortuna. Um, I think. Wait. Yeah, I, I, think, I guess they're still Zweite Bundesliga at the moment. Um, yeah. They play in like a huge stadium. Like they. I wish they were back in the Bundesliga. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> they had one glorious year there like three years ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah and then straight back down um so the next the next question came from from our friend harry at ram and cole on twitter he said with the international break here and we're 10 to 11 games in who's the biggest surprise and who who are the biggest disappointments in the premier league bundesliga la liga league and and Serie A? um this could be an episode of its own um so <laughs> Harry, yeah. what we're going to do is I think M- Mika and I are going to pick a big surprise and a big disappointment from any of those leagues and do a little bit of discussion around that. So um, let's start with the, well, we said surprise first. So let's start on the positive note. Um, who for you, Mika, is like the biggest surprise in the top five leagues right now? Yeah, for me, it is that Freiburg are th- third in the Bundesliga and have only lost once in all competitions to Bayern Munich, who I think that was actually just this last match day. Um, we haven't talked a lot about the Bundesliga on hardcore football because unfortunately there's just not that much like narrative as far as like the title race is concerned. At least I'm not saying that there's nothing to talk about necessarily, but um, you know, Bayern are the the dominant force that they always are. But when I saw that Freiburg was <laughs> third and in a Champions League place, that definitely caught me out yeah. as a surprise, especially when you see the business that they did, which, to be honest, wasn't a lot. I mean, they sold Baptiste Santa Maria to, to Stade Rene for, I think, like 17 million euros or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a big sale for them. And they replaced him with with Maximilian Eggestein from from relegated Werder Bremen for, you know, a cut price. And yeah. everyone else that they brought up is from their academy. Um, so, you know, I love to see Christian Schleich doing the damn thing (laughs) up there with the big boys. So yeah, that's, that's a big surprise for me because there's nothing really about this squad that screams like that they should be doing this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's the big, big surprise for me. Um, yeah, I think, I think the surprise for me, it has to be. Real Sociedad top of La Liga going into November. Um, I know they okay. technically they've played like one more game and, and all this stuff than Real Madrid, but Sociedad are another one where like they didn't do a ton of business in the summer. It's not like they went out and grabbed like any major gigantic pieces it's largely the same squad that started out last season and they started last season relatively well as, as well. But I think the thing that's striking about this year is just like one, they are maintaining this level like through, I mean, we're a third of the way into the season and they've looked good value like in these games. Um, and a lot of this recent run um, in the league has been done without <laughs> Mikel or who's been 
one of the best players in the world um, in terms of his his output um, and goal involvements. Right. He he's been absolutely unbelievable. Well, he's been injured and they're still getting results. Um, and so, yeah, I think just the show that it is, it's not, they're not like a one trick pony. They're not, um, I, I think they're to be taken seriously. And, um, the fact that Alguacil is just like getting a song out of this team, uh, you know, again, after a good showing last year that, you know, they had that dip. Um, if now he's found some consistency with them, like this is a, a legit squad and they're, and they're doing, they're doing a really good job without a ton of like, I, and I know some of this is opportunism and like the idea that, you know, some of the clubs that are traditionally, you know, way out in front of everybody are, are down this year um, in La Liga. But uh, yeah, I just think the, the job that the job they've done um having, you know, won a, a trophy too last year, like all of the, all of these things, like just, I just think it's really come together for, for La Real. And I, I'm really excited to see like where they can end up this season. Cause I think conceivably, like, will they go on and win the title? Will like, will they do a Lille? Uh, maybe will they end up in the champions league places? Like, I don't want to say probably, but I mean, there's a very good chance that they end up in the champions league next season. And uh, yeah, I just think it adds a layer to the, to La Liga that otherwise like in this kind of down season for the big teams, everybody would kind of be like, ah, well, you know, what's, what's there to talk about? Real Madrid are kind of spotty and Atleti are stumbling and Barca are in the mud. And, (laughs) but the reality is that La Real are like, they've, it's one of those things where it was like, Oh, they're top. That's weird. You know? And then it's like, Oh, they're still top. And now it's 13 games in the season. Like they're still top. Like it's not, it's not a fluke. Um, so yeah, hopefully they don't go through the same sort of dip that they did last year, but I just think they've been really impressive. Yeah. That's a really good shout. What Um, about biggest disappointment, biggest disappointment. Um, I mean, I think, I think it's, I think right now there's really only, to me, there's a clear answer to this and it's Juve. Interesting. Because Juve, Juve are eighth and the, like the idea that they would even like, they are not even going to like the title race is like that's over. Like they don't even need to worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Napoli and Milan are on 32 points. They're on 18. Like they're out of it. Like it's, it's, it's over. They're 14 points off. Even with their dominance in Europe, they're still the biggest disappointment for you. Yeah. Okay. But only because like, I think, I think the dominance in Europe, this is going to be a little bit of a hot take the the result against Chelsea is extremely good. Like the results against Chelsea are extremely good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, and I guess like time will tell if like, if they go out and they, you know, after the international break, they go out and they, and they beat Chelsea at Stanford bridge. Then like I may, you know, maybe I stand corrected. Mm. I think they've benefited from Zenit Malmo. Like, I think they've really benefited from that, that draw. Group. Yeah. Um, fair. 
their results in the league have been extremely sus. <laughs> like <laughs> lots of one nils, like very big Nuno energy. Not Nuno energy. <laughs> <laughs> this poor man went from like, you know, being completely respectable at Wolves to a meme. <laughs> and that is something that only Tottenham Hotspur Football Club can do to a man. Yeah. No, I anyway. I just I think like the fact that they're eighth in the league will one like be extremely disappointing to Juve fans, but I think the way that they are showing up, like they there are so many of these games that I'm like, they don't even deserve anything out of this. And mm. the quality of like the quality of play has not, it's not like they're going out and winning one nil because, Oh, they're just like not converting a bunch of their shots and stuff. Like their game against Verona, what like that they lost two one. that was even mm. against Verona, like in terms of like chance creation and, and those sorts of metrics. So I just think like, I just haven't seen the quality from Juve that, that you'd expect. Like, even if they're grinding out one nils, like normally it's because the other team has been, you know, absolutely demoralized. Um, (laughs) And, and that's just not the case. Like, I think they, I think the other team feels like they're in it against Juve right now. And so I think their performance in Europe has been good but I also would not back that like depending on the draw in the next round, I don't think that I would necessarily like, there's only a handful of teams that I might pick them again, like to go through against because their domestic performances have been so average or like uninspiring. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I didn't even think that was that hot of a take. I think that makes perfect sense. Mine might, like, have people in the mentions. <laughs> I think it's Lionel Messi in Liga. Yeah. Zero goals, zero assists. Granted, only in five appearances, and he has been dealing with injuries, got taken off early. Not against Marseille. He played the whole 90, but the, the match after that, who it escapes me who they played, but he wasn't fit, um, and Pochettino probably knew that. But I think we thought that there would be a little bit more from the Little Magician, La Puga, Tomica, and all of those nicknames <laughs> in the first league. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... Farmers only. Farmersonly.com type beat. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, zero goal involvements, that's crazy for him. Uh, I yeah. mean, and again, these are like his, we're talking about Lionel Messi and his standards. Like that, that's, you know, in just five games to not have a single one is crazy. Now, he's been doing the business in the Champions League. He did score a brace in that last Champions League game, I think. Yeah. Um, so, and and arguably, that's what really what you're looking for from him because PSG want to win the Champions League. But, I think I think we were, you know, I think it's fair enough that we thought he might have scored a goal in the league by now or, or assisted or something. Yeah. Um, he's come close. He's hit the bar, um, you know, had some free kick opportunities, had people not con- convert on chances he's created, but just hasn't come off yet for him. So that, to me, right now in November, mid-November, is a little bit of a disappointment. Um, but I'm sure once he's back to, to full fitness, 
hopefully he'll kick on, um, despite the fact that this PSG side is totally imbalanced and lopsided and Pochettino has yet to find a really consistent winning formula, even though they're like super clear at the top of league on. I'm, I know I'm saying that, but yeah, they, uh, they beat Bordeaux three, two while getting thoroughly outplayed. Like, <laughs> and Bordeaux is not like a specifically like very good side, uh, in league. No, like, they're, they're literally in the relegation zone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They had eight, like Bordeaux had 18 shots to nine, from PSG. They had doubled the shots. Um, wow. And o- PSG only had 57% of the ball. Like this was not like a dominant performance. They win three, two, a brace from Neymar and a goal from Mbappe. But yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it just isn't hot. I've never seen a team be utterly dominant in their league while facing so many questions about whether the manager is doing a good job and like whether this is like unprecedented in the sense that like really strange, they're 10 points clear in the league. And yet everybody knows watching this team that something's not quite right at PSG and Messi is like, yeah, caught up in that right now. Mm hmm. One, he was pictured in training with Argentina ahead of their clash with with Uruguay. So, again, it's like, how injured were you that they released you to Argentina? I don't know. I mean, I I have no clue. But, uh, yeah, I'm hoping for a little bit more from him when when he's back and and playing for PSG because it's the longer it goes on, I feel like the more questions will be asked. But, you know, he's the greatest player to ever do it, so I'm sure it'll, it'll happen eventually. Yeah. The irony of PSG rolling out these like Jordan era bulls home kits um, <laughs> and that Navy blue just looking more and more like the Washington wizards. <laughs> I just, <laughs> Oh my God. That's funny. Yeah. It, I don't know. Oh my Jordan it, at the wizards. It's looking that was, what a time that was. Right, I don't even I don't even fuck with basketball like that, but like I remember that. Like, <laughs> what? That was one of those like cultural moments where everybody yeah. just collectively was like, "I don't agree with this." Yeah, that that <laughs> seems illegal. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> yeah, and that's what. Yeah, Messi at PSG so far just not. It's not been it, but who knows? I mean, in the league. Yeah, in the league. yeah, in yeah. the league, in the Champions League, he has been he has been okay, and PSG have been. Kind of the opposite problem from Juve. Yeah, they've been getting by in the in the Champions League. Yeah, I think. But Messi are Messi has you know has produced in the Champions League. But yeah, him him going the fact he's on Argentina duty just makes the whole whole thing seem a little bit weird. Like it just reminds me of Coutinho, um, like when he started making noise about Liverpool, and he's like, "Oh, I'm out with a back injury." Like when he wanted to go to Barca, he's like, I'm out with a back injury and then played like in Bolivia for Bar- for Brazil, like five minutes <laughs> right. later. I remember that. Yeah. The yeah. Back injury. Yep. Yeah. Um, Harry also asked an interesting question um, as the Premier League. TV rights are up for bid right now with NBC's contract coming to an end. Um 
Harry asks, thoughts on who wins the PL contract? I know you have your favorites. And how much do you see it being? Mm-hmm. Thoughts on who? I mean, all of the major players really have submitted a bid, I think, with yeah. ESPNs being like the latest and the one that they actually like formally commented on. So, I mean, who knows? Um, I know ESPN are really pushing hard to make soccer like one of their flagship properties, but... Um, you know, and like you said, Harry, I do have my favorites. I would really like if it came to like Paramount or, or something, cause I think they've done really well with City A and, and the Champions League in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the commentators that they've brought on the, the different segments, the, the Golazzo show and all of that. But, um, who knows, who knows who wins it? Um, anything's better than Peacock. <laughs> to be honest um how much do i see it being i think the current deal is worth like a billion dollars u.s dollars the right so the current deal nbc paid 740 million pounds for coverage from 2016 to 2022 um the i think does become like a billion (laughs) dollars Right. Yeah. Convert that. The UK, the UK media now is reporting that the new deal will be worth at least 1.1 billion pounds. That's nuts. But also, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's only grown in popularity, honestly. So, yeah, that sounds about right. How much is that in dollars? Like two and a half billion dollars, three billion dollars. I don't know. I can't convert that quickly in my mind <laughs> um the pound isn't the pound isn't performing quite as strongly um as it once was that's uh yeah 1.5 billion essentially damn dollars okay yeah. well, there you go that's uh i just hope okay like at the end of the day i just hope it goes to something that i already pay for because i have <laughs> i have had to download an app to track all my monthly like streaming fees because it's yeah. ridiculous like it's getting ridiculous yeah um because i you know i have a problem and i need to be able to watch everything so i just <laughs> add it to something i already pay for yeah i think like that's my first concern my second concern is like whoever gets it nbc like we have to we do have to give nbc credit for they took a property that was not as like they definitely gambled on that initial 2012, like when they initially bought the rights in 2012, that was not like a given that it would become this like giant thing. And they did a really good job of cultivating like that. And they created good studio shows and like pundits who are now like recognizable in the U S like among premier league fans. Um, Like they've done a good job of that. I think whoever takes it next, like, they just have to treat it with that level of like seriousness. Like they need to, there needs to be a studio show. Like there needs to be good pundits who are not like the trotted out. Like that's my concern about ESPN is like, we've seen all the people that they like to put on soccer. And I don't want to see them talk about the premier league. Like I don't, like the fact that Stu Holden will immediately be trotted out because he played for Bolton once. Like, I just don't, I don't care. 
Like, don't try <laughs> to connect it. Like, don't try to connect the Premier League to the U.S. men's national team. Like, just stop. Yes. Like, don't do yes. it. It's two separate things. Like, I do love the some of the people that they put on La Liga. I like. Yes. Like, I love Sid Lowe. Um, I think Casey Keller actually is really good. Yeah. <laughs> like, Derek Ray. Um, Derek Ray would Derek be the. Ray. He'd be my main ESPN selling point. Would be we get to hear yeah. Derek Ray, but that's for sure. But then we're also denied Derek Ray's amazing pronunciations of Spanish and German names. <laughs> right. Like he's, he's better served on those games <laughs> so that we can hear that. Right. For sure. Uh-oh. So yeah, no, that, I agree. Like, please don't like yeah. bring people who had very like meh Premier League careers and try yeah. to make that a thing. Like we don't, I'm here to tell you right now. We don't care. (laughs) (laughs) As Stephen A. As Stephen A. would absolutely be on Premier League coverage from. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait, hold on a minute. That might be lit. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm saying right now. (laughs) I don't even know how to sound like it. Aaron Ramsdale deserves to be the number one like <laughs> just like in his voice yeah <laughs> oh let's not let's not manifest that we don't know what we're asking for <laughs> yeah but. so i think like if nbc got it back fine if espn got it i just would want them to treat it with the right seriousness if steve nichols like i'm a liverpool fan and steve nichols is a liverpool legend him on espn fc he's horrible like <laughs> He's so annoying. ESPN FC as a whole is like, I can't watch it. Um, And so if it just gets translated into that, given what CBS has been able to do with the Champions League rights, like, and Serie A, they've gone like this different route of bringing in like new voices, people who like know the game. They went out, they swung for the fences with the Champions League and went out and got Jamie Carragher from Sky and Micah Richards from Sky and like, yeah, it's a vibe over there. Yeah, so anyways, like I just think they've done a really good job. And if ESPN does like what they traditionally do, it'll be disappointing ultimately. Um, But if I can watch the games on the apps that I already pay for, then yeah, I'll mostly be happy. I just can't even believe that ESPN have the audacity after the way Venezia destroyed their entire company that That was just ruthless on venezia's part they took on a media conglomerate and won they literally said fuck bristol connecticut like (laughs) with their whole chest (laughs) with their whole chest (laughs) anyway we're getting we're gonna get loopy on here shall we close out with the sounds of the season yeah we shall we shall (laughs) um yeah the sounds awesome questions by the way guys yeah, thank you guys for sending those in. Um, and uh, yeah, on to Sounds of the Season. Mika, we got uh, the playlist that we add a couple of songs to every week. Um, what is what is the vibe for, for this week for you? I mean, it's been sacking seasons like fully on. So I've gone with No Mercy by Paris because that's exactly what these clubs are doing out here. Just ruthless. <laughs> um, Dean Smith, Daniel Farka, guys that you know, have been associated with these clubs for, for some time now or just gone just like that. Um, 
But with that being said, I'm sure tomorrow we will know who these new managers are going to be for these separate clubs. But <laughs> right now, people are asking, are you the one? So that's the the other song is I've gone with Are You the One by Basement. So, nice. um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm sure there will be more sackings to come. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this... Uh... This episode like was only ever going to lead to one band and Mika you know that yeah. I've been like absolutely obsessed with this band ever since they released their new album last Friday um but I chose a track by the band CU Space Cowboy um and I chose the track it's the second to last track on the album called <laughs> Melodrama Between Two Entirely Bored Individuals and the reason I I chose <laughs> that is because that is the Ronald Koeman sacking Okay, got it. <laughs> Joanne That's Laporta awesome. and Ronald Koeman, like both extremely bored of the situation that they find themselves in. And yet there is a melodrama between them. Um, <laughs> Koeman knew he was out. Laporta knew he was going to sack him. And yet, you know, still the drama. And CU Space Cowboy, the reason that they are living absolutely rent free in my head right now is because they literally sound like a band that formed in like 2006. Um, and that old school vibe is just like, absolutely. So are you going to the show in Detroit? I am. Nice. Yeah. So next Wednesday, um, I'm going to go see, so it's in Hamtramck. So I'm headed into the like belly of Detroit city FC, which for any listeners of seriously loco, you may hear more about that, but, (laughs) um, but yeah, yeah, see you, Space Cowboy and uh, Grey Haven and Wrist Meets, Wrist Meets Razor, which is the most fucking emo, emo throwback. But they all like those two bands have that have that old school vibe. So I'm just like, yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm absolutely. I'm excited to see it too, because I'm sure it'll be just as chaotic as I remember some of these like shows from that, that time period. Um, and then, uh, the second song I picked, uh, was, is by a band called invent animate who I've, I've definitely put on here before, but they, they had this EP, um, called the sun, (laughs) the sun, the sun sleeps as if it never was. Um, and so the, the, third track on the ep is called as if it never was um which to me some of these like some of these sackings the era of the manager that has been sacked um and maybe this is the cumin's <laughs> the cumin sacking in particular as if it never was like his appointment will ultimately be forgotten to the to the we're annals just, yeah, of we're history just gonna pretend that didn't happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> so sure i guess i absolutely i accidentally dunked on cumin twice but um you know, <laughs> such is life. Um, but yeah, so a couple of, a couple of different vibes. The invent animate is like when a, when a really heavy band decides to write like really vibey and like atmospheric music. Um, yeah, so, they're really good. Yeah. So those are the additions and you can find that playlist on Spotify. Just search for sounds of the season on Spotify and you can find all of the music that we've added to it. Um, and more gets added every episode. So check it out, follow it, um, and get yourself some, 
some drive time music, some post pod music, some workout music. I don't know, whatever you, whatever you vibe to. Um, yeah, it's getting pretty healthy as far as how many songs are on there. So yeah, get into it. You'd love to see it. Um, well, Mika, I think, I think that about does it. I think that does. Thank you guys again for the questions. Again, if you want stickers, just hit us up on Twitter at HXC Twitter and we'll get you sorted out. Um, but yeah, thanks for the questions. Thanks for the support. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, un- until next time, guys, we do have an international break, so we'll see. We'll see what we do in the meantime. Um, maybe there will be a chance to do some something else, uh, something off the beaten path. <laughs> yeah. Um, during the international break. But um and now that our local team season is prematurely over. Um, oh, pain. <laughs> um, yeah, so hopefully uh, we'll be back soon, um, but we'll at least see you guys after the international break. And in the meantime, uh, we'll, uh, yeah, hope you stay well, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.